0: This is episode 120, and uh, the episode is called 6, Return of the Human Being. And it's the last of our uh, transhuman series, and also our very last episode. So, how are you, Teresa?
1: Well, I'm here. I'm uh, I'm struggling today. It's a dreary day in February. And, uh, yeah, I'm here.
0: Yeah, me too. It's a chilly day gray day, and I've been feeling kind of rough for the past few days. Um, Don't know what it is, just one of those spells you go through, I reckon. Um, And Teresa, how do you want to like start us off here? You want to, uh, well, why are we winding up our our series, our Escaping Society series? Is there anything you want to say about why we're winding up or um, just anything about, you know, like this is our last episode, so anything about the series altogether that You'd like to, uh, share.
1: Yeah. Uh, when we started this a couple years ago, I was thinking like, man, if we get to 10 seasons, I feel like that'll be, I don't know why. I just felt like, that'll be good. Did we outdo Seinfeld?
0: Mm. I don't know.
1: (laughs) And, you know, we've been joking.
0: I know we damn sure didn't outdo The Simpsons.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, I know we've been joking recently about like, uh... Well, I think we've run out of things to say. So I think it was kind of a, a good prediction as far as 10 seasons go. And maybe, like, when we started this, too, we had no idea what direction we were going to take. Like, we didn't know if we were going to do more interviews, if we were going to have more um, kind of listener write-in and, and like, comment on those. Or we didn't know what the hell we were doing. Um, and in the beginning, too, like, so naive that, uh, you know... I felt like I had a lot to say about van life and I, I did, but I feel like once you kind of get the basics down and you just got to feel it out for yourself. So, um, what this, this ending of our podcast is for me is like, all right, Teresa, you're not having to worry about a podcast anymore. And, um, what are you going to replace that time with? And God, I hope I can hold myself accountable. I really want to push forward, and as far as anything else, um, I've enjoyed a lot of the episodes, uh, that we've that we've done together. There were certainly struggles, um, but yeah, I feel like right now with the way the world is, maybe the world's always this way, but it just kind of feels like I need to focus on getting my shit together because I don't think I should be waiting anymore.
2: Yeah.
0: I, uh, You know, this episode, Return of the Human Being, um, for the Transhumanist series, we had parts one through five, and they were all exploring aspects of uh, transhumanism, which I, as I said in the series, I thought was one of the bigger umbrellas, the kind of underlying things we're exploring is this move away from what it means to be a human being and kind of thinking of it in those terms, kind of discovering that what I'm after through van life, you know, like Freedom Freedom is a word that gets tossed around a lot, and uh I realize how little we understand what that word means like freedom from what freedom to do what um, that's actually a really big topic, and we all think we know what freedom means, but uh you know I think if you really reflect on that, you realize you might not know as much as you think you do of what freedom means so um. I think, in terms of the transhumanism, part of it is the freedom to be a human being. I think that's what I'm trying to escape from. I feel like, you know, there's something in our culture, something that's been there for a long time um, by, you know, Daniel Quinn terms, maybe 10,000 years, taker culture, but something that has more and more, and especially lately, it's uh, growing exponentially, I believe, robbing us of our humanity. And I think we feel that. One of the things I find remarkable when I reflect on our culture is uh, if we were meant to live this way, why is there such widespread discontent? Um, you know, if we were meant to live like machine parts in this collectivist uh, way of living under this uh, authoritative state, um, you'd think we'd be really content. You know, it'd be like a duck in a pond. The duck doesn't complain about the pond. That's where the duck wants to be. It just naturally gravitates towards it. So why is it so common for us not to be gravitating towards the state? And when we're under the state, when we've been born under the state, when we were raised by the state, by people who were born and raised by the state, how is it still so common after all these years to find such discontent? Mm-hmm. To put out a, a, a podcast called Escaping Society and have any listeners, <laughs> to have all these other anarchist and you know rebellious um, lines of thought, whether through a book or podcast or movies, and for them to be so popular, and I think it's because what we're craving, what we're missing, what we just intrinsically know, even if we don't have words for it, if we can't articulate it, inter- articulate it. Is we're missing our humanity. We we recognize that whatever we're supposed to be, whatever we still are, is stifled. That I think is what we want freedom from the 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 prison. The you know you could call it the transhumanist prison, the state, um, whatever that thing is, that stifling aspect that doesn't allow us to be what we are. Um, so yeah, that's part of. What I want to explore in this episode and uh, regarding the series, yeah, i just like to kind of agree with what Teresa said. When we started out, we felt like we were learning a lot about how to do this and we had a lot to share. And I kind of feel like we've shared it all. And, you know, in episodes lately, I feel like um, two things were happening. One thing, I felt like I was kind of repeating myself. I know I was repeating myself. I'd refer to po- former episodes all the time. So that was starting to kind of weigh on me, like, what am I just repeating myself for? You know, if somebody didn't hear it the first time, are they going to hear it the second time? And if they need it repeated, am I going to be able to repeat it enough times for them to finally hear it? I don't think I want to put my energy into repeating it that many times. And the other thing is we were replacing our personal knowledge, our own lived experience with trying to talk about current events. And uh, I don't know, I'm fine tossing around opinions around a campfire or whatever, but to put it out in a podcast as if it's news – we are probably less equipped than most people to broadcast news because we're just not tuned in. Our interest isn't there. We don't have constant Wi-Fi. We're not keeping up with the latest news. Um, So, you know, I feel like if listeners want to hear more about current news, um, there are so many better sources for that and You need to apply your own intelligence, Um, even from us. You know, of course, we think we're right in our opinions like everybody does. But if you're just buying our narrative of it, I mean, you're just being a lazy thinker. That's what you've got to work on is not being a lazy thinker, not where you get the news. I mean, that's also where you get the news. But then applying your intelligence, critical thinking. So, um, Teresa, where do you want to go next?
1: Hmm. Oh. I was actually thinking about this. It's sort of in line with what you were saying. Um, I was just walking the, the, the shed over there to plug something in. and um, I was thinking about how frustrating it can be to learn skills when the way in which I am generally learning skills is through the Internet. And I know there are books out there, but generally the books that I would benefit from aren't really readily available from the library. I could order them online and spend money uh, and then have books to carry around, which may or may not be good reference. And sometimes books don't really do it for me. Sometimes YouTube videos don't do it for me either. It's like I need someone right there to, to show me over and over and let me do it. And have them watch and see if I'm doing it right. And I was just lamenting, um, not to be a downer, but I was just lamenting like, man, they've got us in all directions. It's like, if you want to learn these skills, you really have to um, to find find your roots and be rooted as you go online and look at this information. And a lot of people can't do that either because their minds have been really warped from all the online stuff,
0: yeah, one of the things that I think about, I anticipate that things are getting worse and are about to get much worse, um, you know, as many people are talking about, there's less products on our shelves, um, you know thing prices are going up, and I think the internet has been kind of uh, handed to us for a while to get us addicted, to get us thoroughly, thoroughly addicted, where we can't imagine our lives without it. Mm -hmm. And I'm predicting that right around the corner, um, we're going to start seeing more monetization, more control. There's going to be a higher price to pay to be involved in the internet. And we will, well, I don't want to say we, because I'm hoping we, as in Teresa and I, or at least me, let me speak for myself, um, am not willing to be sucked in any further Matter of fact I'm trying to put on the brakes Right where I'm at Which is one of the reasons why uh, You know We're looking at the podcast And like I think we can let that go um, I was just talking with somebody The other day That sent me a message And it's like I'm part of this Luddite group And uh, you know Join our website And I'm like You know <laughs> A Luddite group Okay The the our irony of uh, Using technology To be in a Luddite group Alright You know that's That's kind of questionable to begin with, but then to ask me to like go further into the technology by joining another page and, you know, all that's involved in that. Um that's not the direction I want to go. So I can let go of the podcast, we let go of our phones, and you know, next I'll be looking around to see what else I can let go of. And um
1: And what do you replace it with?
0: Yeah, that was I actually one of the things I was thinking is um you know we've got a friend, a listener to some of our podcasts and uh she recently posted on Facebook that um, she was going to quit drinking. And um, wisely, she's replacing it with, uh, she said she wants to exercise, like go to the gym instead of drinking. And I think that's so important. Again, I'm repeating myself. Um, I think I said this in another recent podcast, but nature abhors a vacuum. So if you get rid of something, you better replace it with something. Otherwise, that vacuum is going to demand that you either return the thing that you took out of it or replace it with something out of desperation and if you're not thinking about what you're replacing it with you might wind up worse off. So uh yeah, that's something to consider as I'm letting go of things, you know, um what do I replace it with? And the YouTube videos, I recognize what an imperfect way that is to learn. Um it's so tough to learn from a video instead of like a human being who can interact with you. Um, but I also think, where would I be learning this from if I had neither the human being nor the YouTube video? So I'd better get on using that resource <laughs> for all it's worth while I still can. Yeah. Tomorrow, for all I know, they might monetize it. They might have set up some kind of barrier where I'm like, I'm not willing to give them what they're requiring to use their toy. And let's remember, we are not entitled to any of this technology. If you can't go out in the woods and build it yourself, somebody is building it for you. And they can change the terms of service anytime they want. And you will either have to do without it or meet the terms of service. And if you're addicted to that thing, if your life is based on needing that thing, you will do whatever they require of you which is a scary thought. And that's exactly part of what I want to get back as a human being is my independence, my strength, my freedom. My freedom to choose, my freedom to choose what is right for me and not feel so dependent on other people, much less a collection of people we may call a corporation or a government that I have to cater down, I have to grovel at their feet, I have to fight wars for them. I have to to let them rob my my Paycheck with, it, with taxes that I have not consented to. Um, just the list goes on and on of the freedoms that I surrender so I can play with their toys. It's fucking juvenile. It's childish, and it 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 robs me of my humanity. So since all I have, you know, to work with in this broken world that I'm I'm left to to try to make sense out of, to gain what measure of freedom, to to remember what humanity I can while it's still there. I mean, imagine some dystopian future maybe a few short years from now where the books and the memories of what humans once were are completely gone. Mm -hmm. We won't even know what there was to learn. At least now we still have an inkling that there were skills, there were ways of life that people didn't need to live like that. When that's gone and it could be gone. Um, As I look around now, there's so many things happening that I thought I knew that it could happen in my lifetime, but I guess I didn't really believe it because I'm still surprised. I'm like, holy shit, this is like a dystopian novel happening right now. It's not maybe going to happen. It's happening. So using what resources I can while I've got them, I want to use that YouTube. I want to use those videos. I want to learn what I can about bushcraft, knitting, crochet, whatever. Anything that will help me get freedom because I think it's offered to me so easily right now. Because this is part of the process of getting us addicted, getting us using it. And like I said, I think that's about to change. So while I can, I want to use that resource. And then whatever I've gotten, when that thing turns around and I'm not willing to meet their terms of service anymore, that will be that one more tool that I can use to hopefully gain more freedom and learn directly through I guess I'm just going to have to start learning through uh, experimenting, trial and error, you know. <laughs> Go which back is,
1: to the drawing board. Yeah,
0: back to the drawing board. Maybe I'll be lucky enough to uh, meet some teachers along the way. I know they're out there, but uh, I don't know. At my age, with my kind of, you know, misanthropy, I'm just not excited about going to people to learn either, even though I think that's the best way to learn. But I might just be stuck struggling on my own. But I feel like I'm making headway, so that's good.
1: Mm-hmm. I know I've mentioned this in at least one previous episode, so pardon my repetition, but I did feel like uh, circling back to this story that I'm going to tell very badly, um, the story about the bear people and how there was a tribe one time that...
0: Now, when you say bear people, I've never seen you spell that. Are you talking about naked people?
1: um, B-E-A-R is what I was thinking. Oh. But good point.
0: So hairy people.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. So there was a tribe and uh, they were starting to change their ways. They were starting to invite in new ways, maybe new technologies to them. And there was a group within the tribe that was like, oh, we don't really like the way this is going. We're seeing that there's a danger to these new toys and technologies. And uh, we're actually going to decide to go into the woods. We're going to go over here. And if anybody wants to join us, we'll be there. And the tribe kind of went along their way and did their thing and suffered the consequences of that. But now I'm starting to see the wisdom and just the um, poignancy and the the urgency now of the bear people. Because I think we are going to be the bear people. I mean, again, I don't want to talk for you, Gumby, but... Um, we're starting to turn away. We've seen the ways in which, uh, these new technologies are kind of taking us the wrong way. So I don't know, that was a horrible rendition of that story, but the basic uh, premise is there are people that are out there that are doing this. They're probably not on the internet. They're probably not on social medias of any kind, um, but they're out there. But you're not going to meet them while you're still using these toys. And that's not all. I mean, you you can't count on meeting them. you got to be one yourself.
0: Yeah, I think the uh, bear people, you know, is uh, the idea of them is a really good inspiration. And I think that's the important thing is to keep alive the idea, the possibility that people can break free and they can be happy doing it and they can return to what we're calling um, being a human being. Um, Freddie Perlman in the book, I always get it backwards. Is it uh, f- his sto- fighting his story? Fi- uh, you know what I'm trying to t- think of? Freddie Perlman.
1: Yeah, something about against yeah. his story, against Leviathan.
0: That's it. Um, he calls people potential human beings. And I remember when I read that, I really liked it. And it stayed with me over the years since I've read it. Um, I don't think we get to—it's like a flower that gets nipped in the bud. We don't get to blossom into actual human beings, and I I think that's part of the angst we feel, the deep suffering, the misery. Um, Mm,
1: And we're kept like little babies.
0: Yeah, we're were definitely infantilized. When you think about the way the state works— what good would the state have for independent people? That would be one of the biggest threats to the state. First thing the state needs to do before it does all the shit to us, extract taxes from us and threaten us with imprisonment and robbing us of our so-called freedom, is to make us dependent. Otherwise, we wouldn't put up with that shit. You know, we just leave. We wouldn't need their toys. So they definitely keep us weak and infantilized. Um But that idea of like being like the bear people, I like that as a symbol. Um, Because one of the things that we've talked about and many people talk about is how we've destroyed indigenous cultures. There's a few scattered indigenous cultures out there, and they still have much to teach. Um, But who knows how long they're going to last? I mean, our... Our culture is not known for uh, leaving people unfucked with. <laughs> so, you know, with this broken, this when you think about what these tribes represent, this ancestral lineage that goes back to the first creatures that we would call us human beings. Um, that's so much knowledge lost. And all of it is unique. One tribe does not live like the other. So each tribe that's wiped out, it's not like the other tribe remembers what the, the wiped out tribe knew. They never knew it. It's all different expressions of ancient humanity of our roots, gone, replaced by the state, by consumerism, um, by this way we live, which is so weak and so unsustainable and is eating itself alive right now. And we all know it. So something's got to replace that. If we're going to get back to something, we can't count on just joining the Apaches or, um, you know, hoping the Pitahan somehow rise up and, you know, <laughs> save us. Um, it's going to have to be us. We're going to have to be the new natives. But first, we have to go native. We have to rewild. We have to belong out there. We have to find our pacing again. And boy, at the same time, you know, like, it's a paradoxical truth. And I, I Teresa and I talk about this a lot. I, I, Realized a long time ago that all deep truths are paradoxical. If you think you've got a deep truth but you haven't really embraced the opposite point of view, I don't feel like you've got the deep truth yet. The example I've given before, and I always give is that, uh, you know, on the one hand, our lives are so important. Every word that comes out of your mouth affects the people around you and sends a ripple into the future. It shapes the future. Um every act in your life has deep importance. And at the same time, we're so insignificant. We live on a little speck of dust in the middle of this universe, and how many of our little creature bodies are crawling around that little speck of dust? I mean, we're less than mites crawling around this little little dust bunny we call Earth. You know, so the insignificance is not the whole truth. Neither is the deep importance. But you put them together, and you're to something. Mm. So that paradoxical truth, and um, you know, going native. Um, Damn, I lost the thread of what I was
1: saying. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Maybe about, it'll come back to me. That's about where we are today.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's another reason of stopping the podcast. Too I many really brain liked, farts.
1: I really liked that post that you had on Facebook just recently, too. Speaking of technologies, um, talking about how, like, here are three things that you can do right now. Don't tell me you can't do them. Because if you say you can't do them, I mean... You might as well just succumb to it all. Like if you're wanting to fight, if you're wanting to rewild, you can sit on your porch. You can you can be outside. Um, and yet, you know, I, I saw this guy driving in his little smart car the other day. One of those tiny little cars. Looks like my shoe. <laughs> and uh, I don't know anything about him. He kind of reminded me of me when I was working. Just like driving in my car, going to my job. <laughs> I'm important. I'm in my car, completely oblivious to everything that's going on.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I I I'm glad I'm moving away from that.
0: Hopefully we are. Hopefully. And I remembered the paradox I was trying to uh recall and it was that on the one hand, trying to rewild and uh reclaim our humanity is so daunting, such a monumental task. Um we've got so far to go to get back. You know, it's not just a matter of learning skills. You know, it's our whole philosophy. It's our whole way of being. It's our relationship with such fundamental things as life and death itself that needs to change mm-hmm. drastically. But on the other hand, paradoxically, it's also the most natural and easy thing. There's so many aspects of it that instead of feeling like working, like climbing a mountain, it's more like like relaxing, like learning how to float on water, which I can't do, but... <laughs> I hear from other people that's easy, um, but yeah, these come natural naturally to us. You know, I find that that feeling when I learn skills often, where it feels hard at first, and then when I I get my pacing with it, there's something in my hands that craves it. There's something in my body that feels just feels right doing it. It's like oh, something in me remembers this.
1: Oh yeah, like when I use my mortar and pestle
0: yeah it was actually I didn't want to give that example because you' the one uh coal burning with the mortar and pestle, but that was actually the picture I thought of as I said that is sitting around a fire working on something you know like um that kind of thing there are just moments where you're under the night sky, the fire's burning, you've got just enough light to work on what you're working on, and something rouses within you, something feels like I remember this. This feels right. This doesn't have the same quality of picking up a new Apple product, you know, that just, you know, appeals to this like novel, flashy, look at the neat thing in me. It's something deeper, something much more satisfying that like surfaces. Mm -hmm. Did you want to say anything else about working on the mortar and pestle or
1: did I I just say it? I was mostly talking about grinding things in the mortar and pestle. Like there's something about that, that rhythm and that sound and that... Like the mortar and pestle I made is big enough that I I use my feet to hold it in place, and I can sit in one of the bushcraft chairs that Gumby made and kind of like rock forward and back as I, you as I do the motion as I am grinding our coffee beans, um, and it's just I don't know it's uh, it really does take you back it it transports you.
2: Mhm.
0: Yeah and. Right now, I feel like we're at this this critical point more than we have been in our culture before where, you know, we were talking about um, in the transhuman, one of the episodes like – no, actually, I think this is a mile marker. We talked about this, but I think now with meta on the horizon, with uh, cryptocurrency, you know, money that's like somehow digitized, um, so many things that are just unfolding right now. I think we're at a very important juncture, a split. There are those that are about to go into the next step that our culture is opening the door for. And I don't think, I don't want to say there's no coming back, but I think it's going to be even harder for them to escape society than we have it. And God knows we've got a challenge. So I think that's the critical juncture. And I think those of us who say, I don't want to go through that door we're gonna find ourselves with uh, without access to a lot of the things in our culture that we had access to before. And if you're not willing to meet those terms of service, you'd better have something to replace it with, independence, skills. And I think that is a really, really crucial thing to keep in mind. Um, again, if I'm right about this, and it's not just me saying this, a lot of other people are saying this as well, but if we are indeed at that crossroads It's time. It's time to either succumb or get off, you know? And, um, on one hand, it's such a monumental task as I was saying. And part of that, 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 that hardship is I feel like in order to give up these cultural wrong turns to return to the human being, um, We need something so old, so deep in our ancestry that it's all but forgotten. Um, I mentioned in a recent episode liking to read anthropology books, and uh, they always get me thinking. It's always, I I think I wrap my mind around some of my romantic ideals about indigenous tribes. And then when I start reading the words of the anthropologist, I am always shocked. I'm always, uh, I won't say offended, but sometimes kind of appalled. You know, I always run into things of the way they live. That's like, whoa, I I actually like, I don't know how I would handle that if I was the anthropologist. Um, It's so alien to me. And I realize how far removed I am from that way of life a lot further than I thought. But as we were talking about working on skills around the fire, things like that, there's something that remembers something similar to that. It's a memory so old and that's half of what we're going to need to move into that next thing if it's not going along with where the cultures taking us and the other half of that is something so new that it hasn't been born yet wow something so old we can barely remember it and something so new it hasn't been born yet we need something that we can't just go back to those old ways that 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 was a whole different world but there's a lot that we can adopt that will help us still that we can return to But the rest of the picture is we can't go back with the naivety of our ancestors. We've been through something and it matters. It has changed us. Mm. We need to carry a new vision, a new wisdom. And this is so completely unprecedented. As far as we know, no creature ever, ever, as far as we know, has ever been faced with having to change themselves in this way. This is unprecedented. It's never happened before, as far as we know. And, um, yeah, boy, trying to move forward with that dichotomy, trying to remember things that aren't just skills with my hands, but whole philosophies, whole what does this skill mean? What does this skill uh, connect me with? What are the deeper significances of these skills, the communications, the whole way I am in the world um, to remember what it is to be a human being and to redefine being a human being, to become something new, because it's that partly new thing that it will take to survive without our culture, mm-hmm. to not to no longer be dependent on the things that we've been so um, intentionally made to believe we need, intentionally led to be addicted to. That's a lot to give up, but it can be done. We hope. We hope. And uh, we're willing to take the experiment. One of the things that, uh, you know, we were, you know, as usual, kind of compiling a list of ideas to uh, help us remember some of the topics that we thought were relevant to uh, returning to being a human being. And um, I was going to save this for further in the episode, but it seems relevant right now. But one thing I've realized, you know, death has been such a presence with us lately. Last year, it was Teresa's dad, her grandfather, uh, just so God not even friends. a month ago. yeah, so many friends, and not even a month ago, my mom, her ashes are sitting in the uh, the trailer right beside us right now that her boyfriend's picked up. You know, death is something that's really making itself known, knocking on our door. and I realize like, and then I'm reading about the Pihan who uh, have no fear of death, you know, they just accept death. It's not even they have no ritual around it or anything. You just somebody dies, you stick them in the ground. It's not a cruelty thing. They laugh. They, they love each other while they're alive. But when somebody dies, you know, it's not like, oh, my God, what went wrong? It's no, death. Death, there it is. Again, death. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those fundamental things that doesn't have to do with a skill in itself that we need to change. We need to change our relationship with death. As long as we're afraid of death, how can we get our freedom? That is the fundamental fear, and I feel like that's exaggerated more in our culture than almost any other indigenous culture I've ever read about, Um, and that's one of the primary methods we're kept under control. If you're afraid of death, if you have that thought of like, oh my god, I might die, how are you ever going to get out of this culture? You are going to die, whether you're in this culture or not. But that fear of like, it might happen sooner. What if I don't have the medicines to buy me that extra couple of years of uh, sitting in front of a computer with the uh, simulation of connection, and the simulation of community, and the simulation of adventure and, and fun? Um, we have to be willing to, to face death and to welcome death back in as a part of life. And that's something I'm really trying to wrap my mind around, you know? And I feel like one of the good things about getting older is the more you are around death, your parents die, your grandparents, your pets, um, your friends, it helps kind of forge the path for you. Whatever death is, more and more you realize like, oh, I mean, I've got ancestors there. I don't know exactly what I believe happens when you die, you know, like, but I like to think about those campfires in the sky, how our ancestors usually look up at the stars and see their ancestors sitting around campfires, waiting for them to join them. And whether that is technically true or not, I don't think it matters. It's where it puts my mind mm-hmm. to realize, like, I don't need to be afraid of death. And it gives me courage. It gives me courage to try things. It gives me, gives me courage to ask myself, is this right or is this not right? and not to let whether I'm going to die doing it or not be the final factor. That, I think, is one of the most important things that we need to change is our relationship with death, to welcome death in. Not to be eager. Life is joyous. Life is beautiful. It's not like we're just trying to throw it away. But to recognize it is precious in its brevity, and death is coming, and death will be a release. And we've got no reason to think death is going to be a bad thing. It's just going to be a big transition Um, and let that empower us because our culture teaches us over and over life at any cost. Oh my God, wouldn't you do anything to live longer? Like that's part of the transhumanist philosophy. What if you didn't have to die at all? What if you could actually be downloaded into a computer and just turned into a program, which of course, as we've discussed, we don't believe that would actually be you. It would just be an avatar. It would be more of an illusion for the people around you to believe, Mm -hmm. oh, they didn't die. Look at this avatar. I think that's actually them. I don't believe so. I don't believe you can be downloaded into a computer. I don't believe you ever will be. But we sure do love the illusion. And we're so sold on so many lies at this point that one more lie, shit, we're wired for it at this point. <laughs> it's going to take a lot to break free and hold the truth. Even, And the truth can be so scary. You know, Death is scary. It's the big unknown. Um, but yeah, to make friends with that, death is an ally.
1: Indeed. I honestly don't have much else on my list, Gumby. I have well, I have that song that I um like I said I'll try to sing, but I don't have to do that now.
0: Well, I've got more on my list. Why don't you help me with my list? Okay. So if you see anything on there you want to talk about, but um you know I had a couple like one of one of the things I liked when I was thinking about death is we saw Waking Life again pretty recently, and there was a really uh, powerful scene in there where uh, at the end. They got a scene where they're talking about death, and um, it's described as God keeps giving you an invitation um, to come home. Do you want to come home? And what life is, is basically you saying, Not yet, not yet, <laughs> yeah. not yet. And finally, you know, your life gets so uh, exhausting. You're just, you've tried what you want to, you know, it's just time. And finally, you accept God's invitation to come home. Again, It doesn't matter if you literally think this is exactly the way it works, however you picture. It's a way of being in the universe. And it's one of those ways of treating death that I feel like really empowers us rather than keeps us scared shitless and distracted. If you're scared of your death and you know that death is coming and you see death as like losing the game of life, what choice do you have other than (laughs) to be terrified and to just constantly seek distractions? What kind of life is that? I don't think that's the life of a human being. That's the life of a battery. That's the matrix. That's that's the life of giving your, your life energy to the state, to consume, to buy, to work. That's not the life of a human being. The more I rewild, the more I get out side, the more I'm in the woods, the more I work on these skills, the more something in me remembers what it's like to be a human being, and it feels good. It feels peaceful. It's not even about sadness and happiness. It's about something I feel like is deeper, which is maybe contentment. It feels right. It feels ancient.
1: You know sometimes we listen to this podcast and uh what is it called Unsafe space and one of the co-hosts is this guy named Carter Laren, and he talks so much shit about tribalism and collectivism, which we use or Gumby uses that word a lot the the collectivist mindset, but I don't feel like tribalism is exactly that um Gumby had written on his list, like, tribalism is human. And I don't think it's the same as just parroting things like what this guy Carter talks about with um, tribalism or collectivistic uh, thought. What do you think about that, Gumby?
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree. As we talked about, you know, like, uh, Carter Lahren sees it as sort of I feel like he words it as if, you know, there's this group, let's say the Wokies, the, you know, the conservative right, whatever group They kind of like, oh, well, you're either in our group or we're against you. And I think that's actually what we are. The reason why it has this ugly connotation is because we're thrust in this non-human situation that, you know, it's been called the melting pot. It's been called the tossed salad. Whatever. It's this collectivist situation that does not come natural to us. Are wolves tribal? Is that a bad thing? Is it bad that a wolf pack doesn't just join like all the other wolf packs and have a little festival and like all wolves get along? Because if you're a biologist and you study how like things in nature interact, you realize that this competition is balanced with cooperation and it works really well to keep everybody strong. Um, And I think the same is true for us. I think the state has given us the lie among so many lies that we're all supposed to get along in one big global tribe, one big happy family, which has never, ever been the case, is not the case today, and will never be the case. It's not who we are. And it comes out in all these unhealthy ways in our culture, like racism, like gangs, like uh, political division. Um, Democrats, the way they talk about Republicans, Republicans can't hear a fucking thing Democrats say. Communism versus capitalism, the rich and the poor. We still are as tribal as we ever were, but instead of it bringing us together where we take care of our tribe, our tribes are broken. All we have are these loose connections with people that are loosely in our tribe that we don't even really like them. They don't even have our back, but we hate the other people even more than we hate the people in our tribe. And who does that serve? Again, that fear. You know, I love that quote from Yoda. Uh, what is it? Um, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. The dark side. <laughs> that is so true. Fear is one of the initial seeds that destroy us. It's one of the, uh, you know, I make so many pop cultural references. Here's another one. There's that Mel Gibson movie, Apocalypto. And... Um, you know there's this tribe of people and this one guy comes through and you know he's from another tribe and he's on the run because this uh, his tribe has been broken up and they don't know what from but anyway the guy like asked for some meat and they give him some meat and um later they're back at the village and this person who gave the uh the tribesman some meat um was sitting there and he looks distracted his father's like are you thinking about that guy you met in the woods and uh, he said yeah and he was like did you notice anything about him? And uh, he he told his son he was infected with fear. That is dangerous. Like be careful when you interact with fear. Look at look at yourself already. It's already ruined Ooh, your peace.
2: Yeah.
0: And um, yeah, fear. That that fear of death is one of the most exploited things, as I said. But um, also this uh, like this general fear of um you know, what were you just saying?
1: Of tribalism?
0: Yeah. This, this fear of being alone, this fear of, um, it just serves the state, you know, this fear of each other, this fear of, I'd better have welfare. I'd better have social security. I'd better, the state better take care of me in some inhuman, impersonal way because I don't have the things that a human being should, which is each other. Um, I think we actually need more tribalism. We need to strengthen our tribalism and we need to make it real. We shouldn't villainize tribalism.
1: But it's not as, you know, as referencing this guy on another podcast, it's not all about uh, having a checklist, uh, your ideology of, you know, what you believe in. You can still have individual, like your identity and your thoughts. It just when you become part of an actual tribe, it doesn't mean that you have to be so different because you, it's like, you don't need that. It's not about being, uh, everybody is a unique snowflake. It's like, no, our whole tribe together is unique and we're proud of that. And it's not a racist thing. It's not like a, um, what am I, what am I trying to say? Uh, What are they calling these people? Not domestic terrorists. They're not nationalists, like white supremacists or something Mm -hmm. like that. It's not that your tribe is like hating on other tribes. They're just loving their tribe so much and they're proud of that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mm -mm. But we're being denied that because we all have to get along. We all have to think the same way, even if you don't want to think the same way. You should because that's the best way.
0: And I would add a caveat to my my statements about tribe. I I think ultimately we need to get back to tribe, but I also think for most of us, there's no real way to do that now. And I see the opposite side of that is a lot of people that talk about tribe now are using it as an excuse not to move forward. Hmm. They say, oh, we can't do it without other people. And what they really mean is I'm not going to do anything by myself. So you know what? Those people, if they find themselves in a tribe, they're going to be about as useless as a second asshole um, because they haven't tried to forge ahead on their own. If you do what you can on your own, if you don't have that tribe like most of us do not, then if you get fortunate enough to find yourself in that natural human state among tribes people, you will have so much to offer because you didn't just stagnate complaining about not having a tribe. Um, you know, as I also said in a uh, podcast uh repeating myself again i was debating with somebody about tribe and i said you know if you find yourself in the middle of a uh, lake without a boat you don't just float there and complain about not having a boat you begin to swim likewise with tribe don't just sit here in this alienated community all by yourself and complain that we don't have tribe and say oh we need to have tribe we need to have tribe and then they ask them like oh well how are you doing with tribe well of course i don't have tribe nobody has tribe well then you better fucking do what you can by yourself Mm -hmm. It's your only choice other than just stagnating and being part of the system that you propose, you purport to pit yourself against.
1: And who knows, with those unique skill sets that everyone else has forgotten, you might find yourself starting to be surrounded by people who want to learn from you.
0: Yeah. I I have found in my own life, and I can testify to this, that uh, I've always been kind of lonely. I haven't been somebody that fits in with a community but whenever I follow the path of what feels right to me, which for me has been the rewilding survival skills, that's when people pop up. Um, that didn't happen before, but things will start happening when I follow that path with heart. So, yeah, very well, that could be the path towards your tribe is by doing what you feel is right. And then your tribe may find you. They may recognize you as one of their own. But if you're just a complainer, i got to tell you. I can't imagine a tribe that's excited to get another whiny-ass complainer in their midst. Um, You better have a better skill set than just whining about what you don't have. Damn. (coughs) Let that be a lesson to some people.
1: (coughs) So your tribe already has somebody that complains? Yeah,
0: we have the position filled. Um, Well, thank you.
1: Thank you for your time.
0: We are still looking for uh, Swedish swimsuit models. We don't have enough of them in our tribe. Um. And another thing that I that we need to work on is the idea of control. Um, we've been led to believe, like, I'm trying to find the right way to word this before it flops out of my head again. Oh boy. But you know, a growing thing that I find is atheism in our culture. And what I'm about to say isn't really against atheists. I don't believe there is such a thing as an atheist. Um, And actually, the people that believe in God, I think a lot of the people that think they believe in God, don't. I think they believe in going through the motions Hmm. of worshiping a God to fit in their tribe, their little pseudo tribe of, let's say, Christianity, Muslim, uh, whatever, Judaism, Hmm. Hindu, yeah. But most of these people, you know, when you watch the way they live, when you talk to them, you realize they don't really have a deep personal understanding of something worthy of the the idea of a God, of that great mystery, of that humbling aspect of you not being in control. Um, these same people will buy a gun to protect their money. These same people will lock their doors. And I always wonder, like, what the fuck do you think God is? Like, if you believe God has a plan and you're part of it, Might not the burglar that shows up to steal your TV be part of God's plan? (laughs) I just don't understand what their relationship is with God. And that's okay if I don't understand it. But when I ask them, it doesn't seem they understand it either. Um, I think they're just playing lip service. And I think atheists, I think we need to have some kind of God as human beings. I think that's part of being a human being, is to have some understanding of something greater than ourselves. And an atheist replaces the invisible deity in the sky, with science, with sometimes themselves, with the state. Um, as they say, there are no atheists in a in a foxhole. Um, you know, when the bombs start <laughs> dropping, everybody starts praying. It's natural. It's natural. It's part of who we are. I believe it's part of the human being, not just some made up god, but an actual like, oh, there is something, something out there that. I don't understand. That humbles me.
1: It's either going to be a three-letter word or a four-letter word.
0: (laughs) Well said. (laughs) And, uh, you know, with that understanding, what I'm trying to say about being a human being is I think part of what happens when we have that belief in something greater than ourselves, like I'm thinking about the Peterhahn again. They don't have a word for God. As far as the anthropologist Daniel Everett Um, learned after spending like 20 years with them, they have no concept of God, and yet they seem to have a faith that allows them to accept death, that allows them to exist in a really humble way without an illusion of control. I would say that is a deeper understanding of God than the average theologian in our culture, who still seeks control even though they purport to believe that there is a deity that is actually in control. It's that relinquishing of control. Even if you don't have a word for God, when you relinquish control, what are you relinquishing control to?
2: Hmm.
0: Not to one like, "Oh, I'm relinquishing control to that mockingbird over there." What the mockingbird says, I do implicitly. If the mockingbird doesn't show up, I don't eat. You know, it's it's something greater than any one thing. It's a it's a holistic. Thing that you're relinquishing control for, and I think that's another, just like our relationship with death, another crucial part of returning to being a human being. Our culture teaches us at every point the opposite. What do we amass money for? Security. What is security? It's control, Mm -hmm. the illusion of control, the illusion that we can be safe. And what's the big thing we're we're trying to stay safe from? Death. Basically, when you boil it down. And we still have no control over that, nor, I hope, will we ever. Um, But that relinquishing of control, that is something crucial. We've got to get out of the driver's seat. We don't belong in the driver's seat. And the more we try to take the driver's seat, no matter what our intentions are, whether you're trying to exploit the environment or save the environment, it's not your fucking environment. You're not in control of it. And any time, any, any, any time, and You can try to debate me on this. Bring up an example. If you think you got a good one, uh, find me through Messenger, Facebook, whatever. I don't believe there's a single time that we have tried to take control where bad things have not resulted. We do not belong in the driver's seat. We do not belong in control. And we've never been in control. We just cause a lot of harm in seeking it. Mm -hmm. We've got to relinquish control. And the only way to do that is to relinquish control to something greater. You don't have to call it God. You don't have to even think about what that thing is because the truth is it doesn't have a name. The truth is you will never know what that thing is. That's why some words for God in some tribal communities translate to the great mystery. I believe it is intrinsically unknowable and I believe that another word for God is the spirit that moves through all things. So let's put those together. We've got a great mystery that moves through all things. And I think that tells us something really deep. That's one of those wisdoms so old we barely remember it that's prevalent in our ancestry. One of the th- those things we need to get back if we want to be human beings again is that everything is intrinsically unknowable. We have to be uh, humbled by our own deep, deep ignorance. Buddha said this. Socrates said this. Jesus in his way said this all of our greatest teachers that have looked at our culture and said this is wrong we've got to take a big drastic turn every time i study what they say it's somewhere in there you look for it acknowledge your ignorance we don't know anything socrates made it his life's mission to go around and just point out to people i'm not trying to sell you anything other than the idea we don't know shit if i have if i know one thing you don't it's the fact that i don't know anything <laughs> we need that back Yes. Why don't you talk a little bit about what you don't know about, Teresa?
1: Oh, I don't know hardly anything. Oh, I will say um, we had mentioned a couple mile markers ago that there was this young lady named Leah. And she had very nicely, she wanted to help us. We weren't asking for anything. She just wanted to help. And she bought us a bunch of groceries. And she didn't know. She had no way of knowing. And neither did we that Gumby's mom was going to soon pass and that we would spend most every minute um, at her bedside or somewhere, you know, within, you know, 100 feet of her bedside. And so that food that Leah got us was, it enabled us to be there at the hospice. Um, And so we saw her yesterday. And do you know, Gumby had found, before we met this person, Leah, he had found a um, a rose quartz necklace. And when she gave us these groceries, out of the kindness of her heart, Gumby was like, wow, this must be for you, you know, this rose quartz necklace. And some people, some people might have taken that necklace and been like, oh, thank you, and like put it in a drawer somewhere or like Gumby, you were going to hang it on the rearview mirror of the van or something. And when we saw her yesterday, she was wearing it as a necklace. And I just, that just blew me away. Because of course she did. Because I'm not saying she knows anything, but there's something that she's tapped into. She, like, let go of it all and just follows her heart. And I just thought that was beautiful. I gave her a little thank you note telling her what I just told you. Like, you had no way of knowing, but thank you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah. Yeah, and
0: uh, yeah, Leah is like one of those really sweet people. That, mate, she's just kind of got a glow about her. Um, like she's what touched with grace. That's mm-hmm. the that's the phrase that comes to my mind. Um,
1: kissed by God.
0: Kissed by God. <laughs> and uh, you know, to continue what I was um talking about a little bit earlier, like as we surrender that self-importance, that idea of exceptionalism, Daniel Quinn talks um, about exceptionalism in really beautiful terms about how lonely it's left us. Um, Just our our extreme exceptionalism that we are so different, so unique among all the creatures has left us really alienated. This idea really cut off, really just abysmally lonely. And, um, you know, to, to, surrender that control, that exceptionalism. Um, that, that idea of control makes us weak and it makes us afraid because it has us waging an endless war that we can't win. We know we can't win it. Um, if we acknowledge that we have no control, then we can't lose because to relinquish that control is to allow in the knowledge that we are so much bigger. Like when I say return to to the human being, I don't just mean like an isolated little primate um, that lives in the right way, whatever that might be. To be a human being is to be part cloud, part tree, part ocean. The ocean, we carry it in our veins and our pumping heart. The air from the trees circulates through our lungs. Our trees are part uh, I was uh, actually I got it backwards, but that's kind of uh, kind of what I'm actually going for. Our trees are part lung, and our lung is part tree.
2: <laughs>
0: you know, they they say the the elements that constitute our body come from the stars. When we look at those stars, those stars are us. Those are our distant ancestors. It's hard to hear these things in our culture and not just turn it into a postcard little anecdote, but to really feel them, to make it our lived experience, that that is actually the universe we live in. Because if we actually relinquish control and realize that we're just one expression among so many expressions that's deeply connected, we're living in this beautiful dream and we can't lose that dream. That dream is here for us to dream. And when we wake up, it's not losing the dream. It's having been thankful and and so fortunate to have dreamed that dream. So I think that's the other side of of relinquishing control is where, you know, again, if you get rid of something, what are you replacing it with? When you get rid of control, I feel like you're replacing it or you can replace it, not with powerlessness, but ultimate power. Not power that you manipulate and lord over, but that you're a part of something so much greater.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: If you isolate yourself, you know, if you're trying to control others, you've already separated yourself from everything. Otherwise, you wouldn't be trying to control them. To control is to separate yourself from something. If I see, you know, the trees as part me, I'm not trying to control them because we're already in it together. If I separate myself and say, I want to control the trees. I want to cut down this. I want to, you know, control where these grow and uh, how big this tree grows um, – I've removed myself from it, and I'm going to lose that battle. I can't win that because I'm going to die, and I'm going to die alone. What do you think, Teresa?
1: Man, uh, I don't know. (laughs) Uh
0: And I'd also say as part of our uh, return to being a human being, don't forget sex either. Um, I think it's really like, that's another thing in our current events that I see under attack is our sexuality, Hmm. even the very fundamental, like, like I said, this is a crossroads. There's some really fundamental things that are part of the human experience that are suddenly just in the last 20, 30 years under attack that before that you wouldn't have dreamed there'd be any kind of, uh, effective attack against it. And yet here we are, people are getting, uh, surgery that leaves them sterile. People are denying that there's any such thing as man or woman. Um, sex itself as a beautiful reproductive animalistic thing is called into question as being denied Is under a form of attack. I'd say invite sex into your life if you can. Um, of course, sex is one of those volatile energies. You got to be careful to be responsible with it and be mindful with it. Um, it can lead to a lot of trouble as as The Buddha said, you know, is taught if you're not careful. Um, But it also brings us back down. Like, think about how professional the mask you have to wear all day long, you know, to 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 exist in civilized society. Just this code of conduct you have to follow. And then think about when you have sex. You're naked. Your animal body is right there. Nothing else. Nothing concealed. And when you have sex with someone, it is such an ancient. Dance, an ancient practice, you know, to have good sex, you've got to set aside so much of your logical mind, your societal conditioning, and just relinquish yourself to it. Again, that relinquishing of control. And I feel like that's one of those things that helps us um, regain our humanity. So sex can be a powerful tool. And one of the more fun ones, I might add.
2: yeah,
1: I was, thinking, I was thinking about that the other day, too. There are so many things in our society that, um, I mean, I know our listeners knew this in a way, although you don't know. But think about all the things that are like, oh, we have to be careful who we have sex with because, you know, we don't want to get diseases. We don't want to get pregnant. We don't want to... um you know, get caught up in some weird dynamic that, you know, maybe is considered inappropriate. And all of these things add up to us just being fearful of sex. Um, again, that fear just separating us from the, the pure humanness of our species.
0: Mhm. Yeah. We see in, uh, a lot of indigenous cultures, and again, I, I want to say with indigenous people, they're not to be copied, but they are to be learned from. I'm not trying to, you know, I hate this fucking cultural appropriation. The way I look at it, if you're trying to rewild right now and get back to something, um, you're in a desperate situation with very little support. And very few teachers. And if you've got to borrow something from another culture and they don't like it, you know what? I'm really not worried at this point of fucking pissing anybody off. Oh, you're Hopi and I'm uh, making this trap that is of your people and you're offended? Well, I'm sorry, was it a Hopi person that invented electricity? Why don't you cut your fucking light switch off? <laughs> This cultural appropriation <laughs> bullshit. I tried to entertain it for a while. No. I've considered it. And now I don't give a fuck about it. Yeah. I still, you know, if I'm interacting with somebody, I mean, I'll try to do it respectfully. But ultimately, I'm gonna take whatever I need to as far as ideas and skills that will help me get the freedom I need. And if somebody's gonna waste their fucking time being offended, that's all they're gonna waste is their fucking time. They're certainly not gonna waste mine. Um. Hear, hear. Hear, hear. And one of the things that I find in indigenous peoples that, again, we don't want to copy, but there's wisdom to be learned from is an upright mind. We can't afford to be negative. There's so much to be negative about. You can legitimize your negativity. Oh, this is why I'm depressed. This is why everything sucks. This is why I'm pessimistic. We can't afford that. We've got to have an upright mind. We've got to like bring that in and, and train ourselves to find the good. I'm looking at a bluebird right now, like parched outside, you know, in the midst of all this transhumanist bullshit, this fucking just so much stuff, chemtrails. And yet there's also pine trees right now that I'm looking at big, fluffy pine trees and a beautiful bluebird. Um, there's so much, and I can choose what i f- where I put my focus that upright mind is what it's going to take to survive along with all the other things we've got to practice that that's something we see in indigenous people a certain kind of optimism of course, you know indigenous people they get hit with smallpox and everything they have grief they you know I'm not saying they don't suffer they don't have like hardships, but they don't suffer like we do. We make a fucking lifestyle out of suffering. We need medications our entire lives (laughs) to avoid suffering. Yeah. (laughs) So that's something that we have allowed, well, I don't know, has been robbed of our human experience in this culture that we need to practice getting back an upright mind. Be positive. You know, they call it the white pill, get white pilled, you know, hope. There is hope to be found. And one of the things I, I find hope in is uh, like the Freedom Convoy, for instance. You know, some of the things I talked about people that are rebelling in any little way they can, that this is not just getting sold to us and bought wholesale by the people involved in this culture, that there is still such widespread rebellion, even survival skills, this resurgence in survival skills. You got so many people trying to exploit it, you know, co opt it, you know, propagandize it. Even shows like Alone. I really love Alone, but you got to watch it carefully. Otherwise, if. It can subtly propagandize you to think that these people in the Arctic in the winter, that that's emblematic of what your survival would be like anywhere. And oh my God, doesn't that look hard and miserable? And yet, even in those conditions, don't we see so many people that when they leave, they say something felt so right. If I just had my family there, I could have kept going, even in those conditions. Mm -hmm. It's easy to forget those are exceptionally hard conditions. So... With all this propaganda, with all this co-opting, kind of getting woven in with this interest in survival skills, the interest itself is interesting, don't you think? With all this technology, with all this technology that we should just be utterly fascinated by if we were the people that the, uh, the technologists tell us we are, you know, like, oh, don't you really want this? Then why the fuck are so many people, more and more people, wanting to know bushcraft, wanting to watch people work on bushcraft. Why are there more and more shows about people getting the fuck out of society even for a couple of months? Why do I have two classes, one on Thursday and one on Friday where the parents sought me out. I didn't go looking for this work so their kids could learn about living in the woods. That is hopeful. That for instance is part of the upright mind. Find the hope. Don't give yourself to despair. The despair will destroy you. The despair will not help anything and You can choose something else. So that's something I learned from indigenous people. Teresa, you're looking sleepy. I know that look. (laughs) You got anything else that uh, um, you feel like is important in uh, returning to being a human being? Mm.
1: Well, I'm not sure if you were going to touch on this, but... uh... Boy, we had a night the other night. Uh, You got this book from the library, and it's a very controversial book. Um, It's called Political Ponerology, and we had heard the name kicked around, and I actually have a friend who, uh, he mentioned this book to me probably a good 10 or so years ago. If you look it up, um, there's controversy around it. But just like with the Carlos Castaneda books, I feel like if you're, if you keep your mind turned on and you consider the ideas, it can, um, potentially lead to an insight. Not that you know everything, but maybe an insight that you haven't considered. And, uh, I guess for me, this, uh, this honorology is like the study of evil or something, um, and the book talks a lot about psychopaths and psychopathology. Um, at this point, <laughs> are we all psychos?
0: Well, that was one of the interesting things in the book. Uh, we just started reading it. And, you know, they're pointing out how psychopaths will apparently 4% of the population, according to them, um, have psychopathic tendencies. And we tend to think of psychopaths as like serial killers, but uh, it doesn't always manifest in that way to be a psychopath. Um, but these are people that don't have a conscience. So they're not held back by like ethical mores or anything. They they can do anything to anybody and feel fine about it. You know, it's sort of like the most withered form of the uh, human being. Um, they've become the walking dead. They've become machine parts. And that these people will very successfully, very often rise to power. So even though 4% of the population may be psychopathic, it might be a much, much higher percent of the ruling class that could be psychopathic because either's the people that would do well. Now, you think about the implications of that. If it's been this way for a very long time, which would make sense if it is indeed happening, that we're talking about. Many, many, many years of psychopaths being in charge. Mm -hmm. Now, a psychopath, one psychopath, may want to feel someone die in their hands, your typical serial killer that we love to see movies made of. Might not another psychopath find a sadistic glee in causing a chain of events where hundreds of people are blown apart on battlefields while they sit comfortably in an office and smile safely, knowing that people are dying because of what they do? Doesn't that kind of make sense when you think about history? How the fuck do we keep doing the stupid shit over and over? I mean, if you think about the people in your life around you, you know, the people that seem relatively healthy, they certainly don't seem like psychopaths. Does it seem like the average person would keep doing that, sending people to their deaths to murder people that obviously aren't meaning us any harm? We're talking about dropping bombs on cities where kids routinely get their, their guts blown all over the walls. What kind of people would do that? It doesn't really seem like the kind of people that most of us are, Mm -hmm. but if there are psychopaths and they are rising inordinately to power, then that kind of paints a different picture of history and current events. And to consider, as Teresa was touching on, if we have psychopaths that are in charge, are passing the laws, making the laws, agreeing on what's legal and what's not, uh, Forming our legal systems, forming yeah. our government documents, then basically what we wind up with is a whole culture of psychopathy. We live in a culture of psychopathy where psychopathic traits serve people.
1: Yeah. And in other words, we used to have individual responsibility. We used to feel in our hearts or in our minds, like, this is right. This is not right. But now we have this convenient legal system that we can say, oh, these things are right. These things are not right. But the things that are right and aren't right were potentially created by people who don't know right and wrong.
0: Yeah. And you contrast that with, you know, I believe there have always been people that you could call a psychopath that have a little touch of this sickness, this, let's call it mental illness for now, in them. But in a healthy, intact tribe of human beings, I feel like there's a lot of cultural things in place that the rare example of this can be addressed most of the time. Mm -hmm. I suspect that whatever started our culture on this path was a combination of factors that overlapped, where we had maybe just by chance, because it had to happen sooner or later, an unusual number of people that had this specific kind of illness at the same time that the culture itself was weakened for some reason, maybe by some natural disaster. Who knows? But It just overlapped at just the right time that it took a foothold and that the culture could not come to terms with it. I believe most of the time, healthy cultures can address a psychopath, maybe lead the psychopath back to a healthier way of life, maybe just have such strong taboos that the psychopath, even though they stay psychopathic, never gets a chance really to exercise it. They just have to go through the emotions. Even in our culture, one of the traits of a psychopath is they don't know how to act like a human being, so they copy human beings. They go through the motions. They learn. They rehearse. What it's like to camouflage themselves with human skin, but underneath is the psychopath. So if we have a culture that instead of controlling, of, of uh, addressing psychopathy, actually promotes it, protects it, yeah. actually has ways of, you know, think about if you're in a company, who's going to get higher up in the company faster? The person who is selfless? who doesn't want to lie to other people, who, you know, things like honesty matter or the cold-blooded person who knows exactly how to push the right buttons, doesn't care if it's ethical or not, just as manipulating, pulling the right strings, causing the right division here, causing the right division there, lying to this person, who's going to rise through the ranks faster? We see movies about it all the time, and we admire these people, the person that can like the con man, the person that can like really lie the best. Um it's cliche. Our politicians are all fucking liars. We know it. It's a cliche. Dishonest is a politician. We expect it from our politicians. So deeply embedded have the psychopaths gotten into our leadership roles. And yeah, as Teresa was asking, what does that do to the person that isn't necessarily a psychopath? I would say at this point, don't we all have a touch of psychopathy? Mm-hmm. If you exist in a culture where the psychopaths make the, in all the rules of the fucking game, how do you come out of that unscathed? I mean, maybe that's part of like what drives us, without thinking about it in those terms, to remove ourselves from the game.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: There's no way to win that game. And if I got to be a psychopath to win the game, fuck the game. Yeah. You know, I don't want to play into that. A psychopath is not a human being. That's, that's why the description is, is said like that, that the psychopath tries to mimic a human being. They're not human.
1: And paradoxically, though, they they are, but they've lost their humanness. I mean, they were born a baby.
0: I don't know about that. I think yeah. about Freddie Perlman, talk about potential human beings. I'm not sure everything that has two eyes and walks upright is a oh. human being. You know, I think like about that. a lot of the stories like uh, Don Juan talking about how we're possessed by these, you know, he called them flyers, these inorganic beings. And They've replaced our minds with theirs, that we're not human anymore.
1: Or even in tens of thousands of years, if there's anyone left and they're studying the, I don't know, like the human species, they might see like a, a divergence in the, the species, like those that have survived, that have eked out survival on this planet, squashed everyone else.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've got like... You know, I hate to use the terms white pill, red pill, black pill, because it's so trendy. And also I feel like it empowers the the matrix as kind of a template for thinking in these terms. And I think the matrix is a serious piece of transhumanist propaganda. But I'll borrow those terms for now because that's what's popping up in my head. I mentioned the white pill. You can focus on the beauty. The beauty is still there. The optimism. But here's my black pill. I have fought misanthropy for a lot of my life. Like when people talk about how shitty people are, I'm usually one of the first people to say, no, people aren't really shitty. They can act shitty. The culture is shitty, but people aren't that shitty. Lately, sometimes I feel like I haven't been misanthropic enough. (laughs) People fucking suck in our culture. When I look around, I can't tell you how often lately I'm just like, these people are already dead. These are fucking rotting zombies. I can smell the rot coming off of their fucking carcasses. They just give themselves to lies. They fucking perpetuate lies. They turn truths upside down. They find any excuse not to free themselves. They impede other people who are trying to free themselves. These people are fucking screws. They're nails. They're fucking wrenches. They're tools. They are machine parts. Whatever part of them that could have been human, I don't think the world is inhabited by humans. Whatever the fuck they are, they're not human beings. Mm. So this book, Political Poneurology, I guess we can like use various terms. We'll go with psychopath for now. But something out there has changed what once was a human being. And if there's a part of you that doesn't want to go along with it, it might be that little coal, that little glowing part of you that... Still has some humanity left. And you better protect that. Mm. You better get the fuck out of that machine. Nurture it. Nurture it. Because the machine. The rules of the machine. Are going to try it, it, their best. To squash it with fear. To squash it with arrogance. To turn you into a fearful arrogant son of a bitch. A zombie. A psychopath. So that's one of the things that I'm trying to escape from. When I say escaping society. Um... Yeah, I thought I had another thought on that. Maybe it'll come back to me. <laughs> but uh, you got any other thoughts on political poneralogy?
1: No, I just, you know, like I said, take it for what it is. It's kind of a platform to have discussions, to practice that critical thinking and uh, come to your own conclusions. But it's probably better than listening to the mainstream media.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess if you don't have anything to say, like I said, one of the reasons we're quitting our episodes is we uh, have run out of things to say. Um, I would like to thank our listeners that have, you know, joined us for the ride this far. And, um, yeah, I hope you've learned something. I hope we've entertained you or uh, offended you or challenged you. Um, We've really enjoyed getting your listener write-ins and sharing them. Um, And, yeah, definitely stay in touch. Um, and we've really appreciated the support, we've appreciated the donations, we've appreciated uh making fun of your accents from wherever <laughs> you're from. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh it's been fun, it's been worthwhile, and I'm glad we uh we did the podcast. And um, I guess we'll leave the website up for a while, at least for now. So we've got a website www.escapingsociety.weebly. B as in b ba 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 Dot com We got a Facebook page found at Escaping Society. We've got a big donate button on our website. So if you want to give us a goodbye donation, that would be lovely. <laughs> um, and I guess we don't give a shit about reviews anymore. So uh, those of you who never gave us a review, fuck you. We don't want your goddamn <laughs> review. Keep your review. Um, and. Well, I
1: will say, if you have. Any questions, comments, I don't know if you already said this, but just if you feel like you want to talk it out with somebody, um, like Gumby said, there's our Facebook page, there's our website with the comment form, so we're, we're still out there for now. We'll probably take our stuff down if we're going to be away from the internet forever.
0: Oh, and Teresa, did you want to share that song? I was hoping you'd share that song.
1: All
2: right. I'll- but
0: before you share the song. Yeah. I just wanted you to, like, get ready for that so it wouldn't take you by surprise. Yeah. There's one more thing I wanted to share um, as far as rewilding goes and being a human being. Um, I find these three steps to be super important um, when I think about, like, if I could just encourage somebody, like, people get get caught up in idealism. They think, oh, if I don't have a tribe, I can't do it. If I can't go out and hunt buffalo and live in a teepee, I can't do it.
1: Did you say hump buffalo?
0: I mean, it depends on what tribe you're in. (laughs) Maybe if you're one of the bear people. Um, But so here's three things I wanted to just give our listeners as a parting gift that anybody can do. And I think these three things, each one of them by themselves can be helpful, but I think you can still get led astray pretty easy. But I think if you combine these three things, they are mutually cooperative. The first thing is be outside. Don't we all love being outside? I see people post shit all the time about how lovely nature is, living in a log cabin. Even if you're complaining about shit on Facebook, can you take that little laptop, that smartphone, and just sit on your porch? If it's a little cold, how much can you stand the cold? Let the cold in. If it's a little hot, sit in the shade of a tree. Watch a sunset. Watch a sunrise. Listen to the birds while you still can. Be outside. I think being outside helps remind us of what we really are. We are not disconnected. We don't belong in the walls of a house. Use shelter when you need it. When you don't need it, fucking get outside. It's even by our own mad scientists. It's been shown that when we're not exposing ourselves to germs and dirt and pollen, we get more sensitive to that. So you're actually making yourself into a creature that can't be outside. The more that you're not out there, you belong outside. That is the rest of your human body out there. And it's beautiful. It's the most beautiful part of your human body. Get outside. Now, by itself, some people act like that's it. That's just a magic pill. Let me remind you that all the settlers spent a lot of time outside and they were some crazy motherfuckers. So, by itself, I don't think that's the magic pill, but it sure helps. Combine that with some form of contemplation. Find some way to include some um solitude and silence into your life. For me, I meditate twice a day. For somebody else, maybe it's a quiet walk. For Teresa, sometimes it's going out in the woods and camping for a night by herself. Find some way to invite solitude and silence into your life. Socrates said, a life not, how do you say? Something to the effect of an unexamined life is not worth living. Mm -hmm. Find some way to examine your life. If you can combine those two, Be outside, and find some way to actually actively reflect. It's not going to happen by itself. It takes effort. Um, You begin to see that you are more than what you thought you are. That's powerful. You're not this solitary little frightened human being that's just waiting for death to come and take you. You're in the entire fucking universe. Let your light blaze. All those machines, all those fucking cold metal parts that are trying to gnash you in their teeth. Fuck them. You are a blazing human being. And anybody that's going to stand in your way, let your fucking light burn those sons of bitches. You are much more than what you've been taught. Let yourself find your way back to that. The outside's going to help you. Contemplation's going to help you. And the third thing, push your skills. So many people get caught up in what they can't do. Fuck that. That's an excuse. Anybody can work on a skill. Who can't? Maybe you got in a car wreck and you can't walk anymore. You can learn how to fucking knit. Maybe you can weave a basket. Maybe you can pickle food. Anything that gives you more autonomy and independence. And don't wait. The resources that will help you learn those things, as we said, could go away tomorrow. All those things. Maybe you learn one thing and you feel like it's not important, but maybe you find yourself in a tribe of people where that's the one thing nobody else knows. (laughs) That's what you have to trade. Fucking find a skill, practice it, and then find what else you can do. Push those skills and don't wait. I'm telling you. I know so many people that think they know stuff that they don't know, and they're in for a rude awakening. Happens to me all the time. I think I know something, only to realize I've got to make 20 damn mistakes before I get success. You wait until you need it to make those 20 mistakes. You are fucked. (laughs) So I wanted to give that as one last gift. Those three things. You push your skills. Find a way to push your skills. Find a way to make it work. It can work for anybody. Get outside as much as you can. Let the cold, let the breeze, let the sun, let the night, let the snow, let the sun. I said sun twice. The sun's a big thing. Let it all in Mm -hmm. and contemplate, reflect, find some way to be quiet and just examine yourself. So those are my final words. Over to you, Teresa.
1: Okay. When we were getting ready for this episode, Gumby said, think of any poems or songs that are inspirational, a testament to the human spirit. And, uh, this song was one that Gumby shared with me when, kind of when we were first starting to date. I remember you sent the link to the video. And it's by, uh, it's called When I Go by Dave Carter. And he also had, um, like a violin accompaniment by Tracy Grammer. Dave Carter's now dead. He died, like, in the early 2000s. But he left this song for us, so... I'm going to try not to mess it up. This is, like, the second time I've ever sung this.
0: Sing it with joy.
1: Well, I'll leave a space in case we have to, like, do this over, because sometimes it makes me cry. All right. Come, lonely hunter, chieftain and king, I will fly like the falcon when I go. Bear me, my brother, under your wing. I will strike, fell like lightning when I go i will bellow like the thunder drum invoke the storm of war a twisting pillar spun of dust and blood up from the prairie floor i will sweep the foe before me like a gale out of the snow and the wind will long recount the story reverence and glory when i go spring spirit dancer nimble and thin i will leap like coyote when i go tireless entrancer, lend me your skin i will run like the gray wolf when i go I will climb the rise at daybreak, I will kiss the sky at noon, raise my yearning voice at midnight to my mother in the moon. I will make the lay of long defeat and draw the chorus slow, I'll send this message down the wire and hope that someone wise is listening when I go. And when the sun comes, trumpets from his red house in the east He'll find a standing stone where long I chanted my release He will send his morning messenger to strike the hammer blow And I will crumble down uncountable in showers of crimson rubies when I go Sigh, mournful sister, whisper and turn i will rattle like the dry leaves when i go stand in the mist where my fire used to burn i will camp on the night breeze when i go and should you glimpse my wandering form out on the border line Between death and resurrection and the council of the pines. Do not worry for my comfort, do not sorrow for me so. All your diamond tears will rise up and adorn the sky beside me when I go.